Good morning. If you have your Bibles, please open to the Gospel of John, chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 30. Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 12 through 30. Because it's a rather long um, passage and we are going to be going through some of the verses later on in the message, we're just going to read uh, verse 12. So you please stand for the reading of God's word. Okay, John chapter 8, verse 12, it says this. Then Jesus again, then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Okay, please join me in prayer. We thank you, Lord, for this time to look into your word to see who Jesus is. We ask, Lord, that you, that through this time in your word, through this message, Lord, that we will be drawn to you. Lord, that you'll meet us, that all that you desire, your will and purposes be done for this message. Lord, I pray that there'll be things that we can take from this and be able to apply to our lives to help us to be the people of God that you desire us to be, to know you, and to follow you. So Holy Spirit, come. Just meet us during this time. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat, please. Back in 1974, back in 1974, the later part, or that was the later part of my freshman year in college, Along with my older brother, we joined this thing called the Long Beach Hotline. We were students at Long Beach State at the time. We joined this thing called the Long Beach Hotline. This was a place where people could call a phone number when they had a problem or they felt lonely or needed help. And they had trained us. We were supposed to be on the other end of the phone and we do like reflective listening. We're like a listening ear and we'd give referrals to the people as was needed. I remember one time, um, this guy called, picked up the phone, hello, Long Beach Hotline, and when I asked him his name, he said, Jesus Christ. At first, I thought this guy was joking around and that eventually he'd tell me his real name and what his problem was, but he, he persisted, he insisted that he was Jesus Christ. And having become a Christian a few months earlier, I tried with the best I could with what I knew to tell this guy why he was not and could not be Jesus Christ. I don't remember how the call ended, so I can't tell you what happened. Now, back over 2,000 years ago, during the time of our passage today, a similar um, issue arose. Someone named Jesus was making claims that he was the Christ the Messiah, God's son, and that God was his father. However, back then, they didn't know what we know now. Like we have the New Testament now. We have, you know, we look at the history of, of Jesus. We, we know about his crucifixion and his resurrection. We have things like Josh McDowell's evidence that demands a verdict. We have Lee Strobel's The Case for Christ. But they didn't have that back then. But yet, even the, with all these kind of resources that we do have, 
that, that talk about evidence for Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Even with all this information, there are still people uh, nowadays who still don't believe who Jesus really is. But back at the time in John 8, here was someone claiming to be Christ, the Messiah. And he came amongst a people who thought they knew how to identify the Messiah, the Savior of the world. So our passage today is a continuation from John chapter 7, verse 52. And back when we were reading about uh, in John 7, there was a lot of division amongst the people as to who is Jesus. We'll see from our passage today that there was a discussion of who that the discussion of who Jesus is was still a hot topic at the time. In John chapter 7, verse 2, it says, Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of Booths, was near, and this feast lasted seven days. The feast of Booths, also known as Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles, um, commemorates the 40 years of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. Then in John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39, it says, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out and said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the, of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. Now, why would Jesus talk about being thirsty. In, in, in our passage today, why would Jesus talk about light and being the light of the world? And we'll see that these weren't just random sayings. What Jesus said fit the occasion. It fit what was going on with this Feast of Tabernacles. It hit where the people were what the people were probably experiencing and seeing at this particular time of the feast. As I prepared for the sermon, I found some interesting information uh, from the Jews for Jesus website. And as I looked at the, the Feast of Tabernacles, they said that there are three main rituals that happen during this feast. One is the making of the booths or huts to commemorate as a memorial to remind the people of the building of, of, of huts or booths as their ancestors wandered in the wilderness. The second thing the second ritual was like a water drawing ceremony where water was drawn from the Pool of Siloam and then poured out at the temple. But I want to focus more on this third main ritual during the Feast of Tabernacles, and that had to do with what's called illumination, light. According to the Jews for Jesus website, it said this, When the temple was still standing, great pillars like candelabra were, were built and illumined the court of women. These pillars were four gigantic candelabras, which were about 75 feet tall and had four branches, each filled with oil and a wick. So imagine, like, I'm not sure how tall the ceiling is, but imagine there's four giant pillars. And say, say 75 feet is like the height of our building here, or the roof here, or the ceiling here. Imagine that these four pillars, like maybe one here, one over there, one here, and one over there, were going up that high, and it had four branches to it, like, like stems hanging, out, uh, hanging upwards. And each of these stems had oil and, and a wick. The wick, they said, was the undergarments of the priests, okay? So 
interesting kind of wick. Okay, because, and then imagine that our, our church was on a hill. Okay, so it's like this is all lifted up. We have these big towers going up, and these things are lit up so that people from all around could see this light. So as, a, as the Israelites looked at this blaze of fire, because of the occasion of this Feast of Tabernacles, they probably recalled the history of their people, that God was leading the people, their ancestors, by light, the pillar of fire by, day, by night, the pillar of fire by night, and the smoke of the cloud by day. That this is what was leading their ancestors when they wandered as they wandered in the wilderness. And, and this website also said that the people probably also recalled and sang a song they were taught from Psalm 27.1, which says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? So all this theme of light, the bright, bright lights. They said there's men dancing with torches, singing this song, The Lord is my light and my salvation. All focusing on the Lord, who he is, what he did and on this light. So imagine the scene at the temple. So imagine we're here. All this thing is all lit up. You see this thing bright, people dancing with torches, songs singing, this, this uh, musicians playing with string instruments, cymbals, trumpets, making uh, worship to the Lord. As you imagine the scene, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. As the people heard this, they might have wondered, who is this guy? And what is he saying? According to the Jews for Jesus website, when Jesus stood in the temple claiming to be the light of the world, he was making a radical statement. Those who say that Jesus never claimed to be God have not dealt with this statement. To stand in the middle of the temple in conjunction with the Feast of Tabernacles and say, I am the light of the world, or I am the light, was like saying, I'm the Shekinah, the glorious, visible presence of God. I am the pillar of fire. It's hard to imagine a more graphic claim to deity. So Jesus is making this claim by what he said in this particular occasion. So who is Jesus? The light of the world, the glorious presence of God. Let's look through the rest of this chapter and see who else, what, it, what else it says about who Jesus is and who Jesus says about himself. Okay, who is Jesus? Verse 14 says this. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the one who knew his identity. He knew his divine origin and destiny. He knew where he came from and where he was going. He knew the plan and purpose for his life. Okay, who is Jesus? Verse 18. 
Jesus said, I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. So who is Jesus? Jesus is one whom Father God also confirms or testifies of who he is. So unlike the guy who called me at the Long Beach hotline claiming to be Jesus Christ, who had no backing for who he thought he was, Jesus had the backing, the confirmation of God the Father. Okay, who is Jesus? Verse 19. So they were saying to him, Where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. So Jesus um, knows Father God. He's in relationship with the Father. They are one. Who is Jesus? Verse 26. I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. So who is Jesus? Jesus is one who hears from the Father and speaks these things to the people in the world. Who is Jesus? Verse 28. So Jesus said, When I lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. Who is Jesus? Jesus is one who does what the Father does and speaks as the Father taught him. Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection will vindicate who Jesus is. And Jesus identifies himself. He says in this, in this verse, it says, then you will know that I am he. And actually, it says more like, then you will know that I am. And in Exodus 3, verses 14 to 16, when Moses asked God to identify himself, God said that, he'll, he'll, that he's called I am. So Jesus, even saying this, is sort of like saying, hey, I'm God. Who is Jesus? Verse 29. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So who's Jesus? Jesus is one who's not alone. The Heavenly Father is with him. Jesus does the things that are pleasing to the Father. So just to recap, who is Jesus? Based on these verses, what Jesus was talking about himself, he's the light of the world, the glorious presence of God, Jesus knew his identity. He knew his divine origin and destiny. He knew where he came from and where he is going. He knew the plan and purpose for his life. Jesus is one whom Father God always confirms or testifies of who he is. Jesus knows Father God. He's in relationship with the Father. They are one. Jesus is one who hears from Father God and speaks the things to people in the world. Jesus is one who does what the Father does and speaks what the Father taught him. Jesus is not alone. The Heavenly Father is with them. And Jesus does the things that are pleasing to the Father. So as the question of who is Jesus arose amongst the people, and Jesus described himself as who he is, how did the people respond? How did the people respond? In John 8, verse 30, it says this. It says, As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. So some people, not, it says many, came to believe in him. And the, my question to us is this. How do we respond to all this? How do we respond to these claims of Jesus and who he is? One way we can respond is to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. 
that we can believe uh, Jesus is who he says he is. In John chapter 8, 8, verse 24, the second part, it says, For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So the first thing we need to do is to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. If we haven't done so already, we can confess and acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross and was raised from the dead for the forgiveness of our sin and shame so that we can have a restored relationship with God. As we put our trust and faith in Jesus, we'll receive the Holy Spirit to help us live as the people that God wants us to be. So we can believe in Jesus, first thing. Second way we can respond um, to Jesus is to follow him, that we could follow Jesus, the light of the world. John 8, 12 says this. It says, Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So after we believe and confess our faith in Jesus, we follow him. Hopefully we, we get, by following him, we get to know him and follow him and get to know him uh, more and more. And hopefully as we follow him and get to know him more, we'll, become to, we'll, we'll look like him, we'll act like him more and more inwardly as he works in our lives, as he transforms our lives. And then hopefully, as that's all happening, we will also act like him. We'll do the things that he does, just like Peter and John did in Acts chapter 4. Now, regarding our relationship with Jesus, maybe we, we think about Jesus Christ, our Savior, that our sins are forgiven, we will eventually go to heaven and spend eternity with the Lord. But what I think this verse, uh, John chapter 8, verse 12, is saying is that following Jesus means that he's not only our Savior, but that he is the Lord of our lives, the Lord of every area. We're supposed to be the Lord of every area of our lives. So maybe the first thing we do in following Jesus is ask ourselves, is there any area of my life that I'm holding on to that I haven't given over yet to Jesus? Is there any area of my life that I'm trying to be Lord over and not allowing Jesus to be Lord of that area of my life. If there is, then we can start following Jesus by giving him that area or those areas of our lives that we've held on to. And we could just pray something really simple like this. We can say, Lord Jesus, you know, like, I want to follow you. I don't want to walk anymore in darkness, in the ways of the world, or in my own ways. I want to walk in your light, your ways. I want to have that full and abundant life you talk about in John 10, 10. But I know I can't do that if I continue walking in darkness. So Jesus, I give all these areas of my life to you so that I can walk in and live the abundant life that you have for me. Jesus, be the Lord of every area of my life. So besides doing that, besides thinking about those areas of our life that we need to give over to the Lord so that he can be Lord of every area of our lives. What else can we do to follow Jesus? Of course, there are a lot of things we can do to know about Jesus, to grow in our relationship with him, so that inwardly, the fruit of the Holy Spirit and the care of Jesus can be formed in us. We can do things, you know, I mean, just spending time with the Lord, basically. But what else can we do? I know there's a lot of things we can probably talk about, but I'd like to just talk about two things. 
as Jesus said that he's the light of the world, and as he read in John 8, 12, I'm also reminded of what Jesus says of his followers in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 15, where it says this. It says in Matthew 5, 14 and 15, it says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So it's sort of like, let our light shine. The Lord working in, in us. We receive the light of Jesus. We, receive, we, follow the, we follow the Lord. He's the light of the world. We receive him into our hearts. He works in our, in our lives. And in a sense, he wants us to carry on the ministry that he started. So how do we let our light shine? One way is we can serve the Lord and do things for people and the Lord out of love. It's just like what we saw with Adventure Week. Serving the Lord out of love. Now, I don't know about you, but a lot of times it's easy to do things. But I know for myself, I don't always do things out of love. Sometimes I could be grumpy and sort of like doing it because I have to do it. But doing things out of love is not always easy. But like someone said in the, in the video, it's a difference between just regular community service and Christian service. We're trying to serve with the love of God. In 1 Corinthians 13, 1, it says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I be, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Um, this past week, I read, I think, I can't remember what day it was exactly, but I read a testimony from John Horry and his See Jesus newsletter, uh, where, he, where I read about it, and it reminded me of letting one's light shine and serving God and others out of love. And it had to do with Adventure Week. And John is writing about his wife, Sonia, and one of his daughters, Eden. And so I'd like to read, and this is with John's permission too, um, part of his newsletter article, which is entitled, Looking Like Jesus. So this is what John says, or he already wrote. This week, Sonia started teaching about hospitality at our church's Adventure Week. When I was praying for her preparation, I started referring to her lesson as looking like Jesus because she based it off the person of Jesus study, lesson one. At the end of each day, the kids have a hands-on opportunity to serve. It might be cooking and sharing lunch or washing cars. As they serve different groups of people in the church. Before they do, Sonia teaches them through Luke 7 about looking, having compassion, and then serving. At one point in the lesson, Sonia planned to teach about getting to know a person you would not naturally connect with. While she was preparing, Sonia asked their daughter, Eden, if she wanted to share what it's like to have a disability as a way for kids to learn to see and have compassion for those with special needs. Surprisingly, Eden said yes. And so they, rather than a live testimony, she preferred being interviewed on video. After this video, video was shown on the first day of VBS, many of the girls in the class began to sob. Many were Eden's peers. They learned that looking like Jesus often includes tears. It was beautiful. Afterwards, the kids served lunch and fellowship with those in the church affected by disabilities. The girls in the class made an unusually concerted effort to reach out and connect with their special guests. Their love was obvious. It brought tears to my wife's eyes. So following Jesus, one way we can do that is by serving others out of love. 
How else can we follow Jesus and let our light shine? One is by uh, pointing people to Jesus. One of the things sometimes when I think about with this passage in Matthew about, you know, we have this, let, it says let your light shine, but sometimes we tend to cover it up. We don't want to let it shine. So um, this is an example of maybe where we might be, where it might be a, a time to, co- or tempted to cover it up when we should be letting our light shine. So I'd like to share about an experience, a recent experience that my wife and I had. This involves fishing, but it'll also involve sharing the gospel, okay? And what the Lord brought up regarding this fishing experience. Okay, so we're in Mammoth, like last week, roughly. And uh, we're on vacation in Mammoth, enjoying the beautiful scenery, the beautiful environment, and going fishing. One of the things that we learned is that there's this fishing culture. Now, we've been fishing for a number of years, but I didn't know there was a fishing culture, but we learned about it. And we know that, you know, you keep space, you don't get your your lines tangled with someone else, things like that. But we learned something new on this last trip. Now, I I don't know about you, but when we see someone catch fish, especially a large fish, or they have lots of fish on their stringer, we say, well, nice catch, what did you use? In other words, we're asking them, what kind of bait or fly or lure did you use to catch all that fish? And it's interesting, the reactions of the people as we ask them. Some people would say something like uh, worms. Others would actually ignore us and act like they didn't hear us, like we just spoke a foreign language or something. And some people would reluctantly give an answer, but it's a real generic answer, like uh, power bait or lure. Like there's tons of lures, there's tons of power bait. They didn't tell us. It's almost as if they were just saying, I used a fishing hook and a line. One man actually said to us, it's a secret. <laughs> but his wife, who was a lot nicer, said, well, actually, it was chartreuse garlic power bait. You know, so. Some people would act grumpy, like, like they were saying indirectly to us. They didn't say this, but sort of like you could tell. How can you ask such a question? In other words, they didn't want to tell us, tell us what they used for bait or how to catch the fish so that we can also share in the excitement and joy of catching a big fish or a lot of fish like them. We found out a couple of friends of, of ours were up there as well, and we told them about this incident, and they told us about fishing culture, which is you don't ask, and people usually don't say what bait, lure, or fly they use to catch fish. When I heard that, I thought, that is weird. I wondered, why wouldn't you want to tell people about something that's good? I thought, maybe there's a scarcity mentality. Maybe they thought, there's only so many fish in that lake. If I tell them what we use, they might get that, and we might not get our share. But I'm sure there's enough fish in that lake for everyone to get a very good, decent amount limit anyway, or catch and release. But uh, it's really weird that they wouldn't want to tell us. It's almost as if they, they were afraid that we would catch more or catch a bigger fish than them. Maybe it's greediness, maybe it's scarcity mentality, maybe it's pride, who knows. But I thought that was a pretty sad, strange culture. And this made me wonder about what do we do about the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do we act like some of those fishermen that my wife and I met? Do we keep the good news to ourselves? 
Are we reluctant to tell others about Jesus? Do we get grumpy when someone asks us about Jesus? Are we afraid, are we afraid that Jesus is going to love them or bless them more than us? We don't want to tell them because we don't want them to steal what could be our love and blessing. No, that's not right. God has more than enough love for each of us. Or are we willing and wanting to, uh, to tell others the good news, the great news of this wonderful relationship that we can have with Jesus and that they can have too? In Acts 1.8 it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. The culture of the good news of Jesus Christ is to share about Jesus with others wherever we go. The Holy Spirit will help us to be his people and to share about Jesus. For one thing, I want to break the fishing culture of keeping a secret of what I've used to catch fish. I want to tell others and share about what bait, uh, lure, or fly that we use so that they can have the fun and enjoyment of catching fish as well. So if you're going to Mammoth, use Thomas Bullion, red gold, quarter ounce lure, olive woolly booger fly, inflated worms on a size 12 hook, and dip it in garlic. <laughs> After first service, uh, Hugh Lee from the fishing ministry gave me a note and said that uh, the next fishing trip, I noticed they have sign-ups for, for the saltwater trip. They have one to Mammoth in, in the fall. He said they will share the secrets of fishing. So please join them. But I hope that we would all be a people who carry on the culture of the kingdom, the commands of Jesus, to be a people who are willing and wanting and desiring to tell others about Jesus Christ so that all people, whether it's a friend, a family, a neighbor, a stranger, someone we meet in the market, so that all people will know and be able to know and experience life with Jesus for now and through eternity. In John chapter 8, verse 12, it says, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said to them, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you have the light that leads to life. So what are we doing? What are we doing to follow Jesus? If, any, if you're writing down anything, I want you to write down, what's my plan for today, for this week, to follow Jesus? Now, for maybe, for, maybe for some of us, there, it's easy to say yes to follow Jesus. Maybe spending time getting to know him and experiencing him through reading the Bible, prayer, or worship, or serving out of love, or, or sharing our faith, maybe that's easy to say yes to. But maybe for some of us, uh, some things are not so easy to do in following Jesus. It takes us out of our comfort zone. So even doing things like getting to know the Lord better and experiencing him through the word, uh, prayer, worship, serving with a heart of love, uh, sharing our faith is not going to be easy. But when I think of Jesus as the light of the world and the rest of what it says in John 8, 12, what comes to mind is that if we want the best life possible, if we want the abundant life that Jesus talks about in John 10, 10, you know, it seems like every time I preach, I talk about John 10, 10. I love that verse. I want that abundant life. I want all of you to have that abundant life. And I think we can have that by following what Jesus calls us to do, even if it's out of our comfort zone. But he's given us the Holy Spirit who will help us lead that kind of life, who will help us do what he's calling us to do. So it's even if it's out of our comfort zone that we can do those things to follow him. In John 8, uh, 8 12, it says that Jesus is the light of the world. 
that leads to life. Darkness will lead to death and destruction, but Jesus is a light that leads to life. And in his light, we see ourselves as we really are. Yes, maybe flawed people, weak people, uh, sinners in need of a savior, but also in the light of God, we also see that we are ones loved by God so much that he went to an extreme measure uh, to make a way for us to have this renewed relationship with him. And as we believe in Jesus, as we put our faith in Jesus, he gives us the Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit will help us to live this life that he calls us to. So let's draw closer to and follow Jesus. Let's follow closer to the light of Jesus. Uh, to, let's, let's draw closer and follow Jesus, the light of the world, and the God who loves us, and a God who is always with us, so that we can be his people, knowing him and representing him to the world. Okay, let's pray. And as we pray, I'd like the communion service to come forward. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus, that you are the light of the world, that you make a way for us. You don't leave us on our own. You make a way for us to know you, to have relationship with you. You make a way for us to live this life by giving us your Holy Spirit once we put our faith and trust in you. And we ask, Lord, that you will help us to know what you want us to do to follow you. Lord, I think we're all in different places in our, in our relationship with you. Lord, will you show us specifically what you want us to do in following you, that you will help us to follow you so that we will not walk in darkness but walk in your light so that we can have our lives filled with your Holy Spirit, that we can learn more about who you are, that we can be the people that you call us to be so that we can tell others about what we know and receive from you, your love, your peace, your joy. So thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.